Why, hey there. Welcome to the Business of Ergonomics podcast. Today in the show, we are talking about shared workspaces and what you need to know as someone in the ergonomics field. Let's do this. Welcome to the Business of Ergonomics podcast. I'm your host, Darcy Jeremy. I'm a board-certified professional ergonomist with over 15 years of experience delivering ergonomics programs to employers of all different types. In this podcast, I share what other healthcare professionals are already doing and being with ergonomics assessments and how to land those clients that you dream of. Without further ado, let's jump into this episode right now. Okay, my friend, today we're talking about shared workspaces. And if you have been doing a lot of office ergonomics assessments, then you know the trend right now is moving people back into more of a least hybrid workspace. They could still be working at home, but management is asking them to come in at least a couple of days a week, if not more. A lot of things have changed over the past few years, and a lot of workers are going back to shared workspaces, something that is kind of unfamiliar. So you, as the ergonomics expert that you are, can provide some really valuable advice about the ergonomics perspective of this change. And that is exactly what I want to do today for you, my friend, in this episode. I'm going to be giving you seven things to know about shared workspaces. Some of them are going to be common sense. All of them are going to be very practical for you to share with your clients. So shared workspaces, including hot desking, it has always been a hot topic, but especially now, it's even hotter. Now, there's a number of reasons why an organization may choose to go forward with this, especially now. Maybe they are returning back from working remotely to less office space, to save costs, especially in this economy. Am I right? Or it could be that they're trying to give their business a modern facelift to attract a younger workforce. And lastly, from that hybrid worker idea, many workplaces could be accommodating a fluctuating workforce. Since Many workers are only in the office for several days a week. The organization could be saving a significant amount of money by allowing people just to share resources since accommodating everybody with their own workstation may not be cost effective because they also have that work office at home. Based on my own research and experience in these types of setups, the best staff performance is when organizations either thoroughly and thoughtfully manage the change with long-standing employees or when the open workspace concept has always been integral to an organization so it, it actually attracts those who would like to work this way. Considering how popular and commonplace shared workspaces are Today, with people moving back to the office, their overall impact on the people who work in them is pretty under-researched. 
So that's why I want to give you the goods today with the seven things to know about shared workspaces. Let's first start off with their benefits. Shared workspaces, including hot desks, are so alluring, right? Like I just mentioned, it can be saving costs. It could be encouraging people to talk to each other. The benefits of an impeccably managed shared office environment can definitely make these types of workspaces seem extremely desirable. For your interest, here are some general health benefits that research has indicated to be associated with this type of work layout. You have greater employee satisfaction, projecting an image of being modern and forward-thinking, improving flexibility in the type of physical space, enabling closer working techniques and relationships, increasing productivity, more easily exchange knowledge and skills, increased networking opportunities, and cost savings because office space can be a lot of money. Okay, so it seems awesome, right? But here's the thing. Not everyone's going to benefit. They look futuristic, but they're not cozy. There's no personal effects. They may even be not comfortable for some people. The collaboration part of it may be enhanced, but for some workers, productivity that needs a lot of deep thinking, deep work, deep concentration is going to be lost. These are just some of the consequences of a less than optimal shared workspace. And as work becomes more and more shared, there can be an increase of cognitive demands without any increase of their benefits. This has a huge implication on a person's performance, and this issue has to be thoroughly addressed. Research has shown the following negative outcomes associated with shared workspaces. First, distraction is significantly worse in all shared office arrangements when compared to those working at home, or from the road. Non-productive behaviors, including uncooperative, increased distress, increased negative interpersonal relationships, higher social liabilities are also seen. Okay, so some employees may tolerate ambient noise from office equipment, overhearing conversations from others. It is a significant distraction and a source of irritation. There's reduced privacy and can this can increase the use of coping strategies such as withdrawal. And side note, I want to be linking all this information in the show notes if you want to check it out because there is some good literature here that you can share with your clients. Let's talk about reconsidering Lifting the ban on personal items if that's a thing in a workplace. Personal space allows staff to store meaningful pictures and or other belongings. There's almost an innate desire for some to do this. So much so that research has found that not allowing staff can potentially inhibit 
performance. Research has found that banning the personalization of work or implementing a clear desk policy has little obvious benefit, yet has potentially negative consequences for an organization. In my experience, clear desk policies are usually the wish of interior designers for aesthetic purposes when there is merely an open workspace. If space is truly shared, such as when hot desking is involved and the staff must vacate their workspace regularly throughout the week, limiting personal items can serve a function. For the hot deskers, lockers can be added to common areas or lounges to store personal items, equipment, and hard copies of any documents that are important to them. It should be noted that there is a threat to the employee's identity if a shift from a traditional to a more open concept layout eliminates that personal space. No longer can they personalize their workspace with photos of loved ones or hobbies that they enjoy. It can even reduce positive emotion, increase stress, and lower the sense of control that the employee experiences at work. Ideally, there should be some sort of compromise to allow some sort of personalization for those who really want that. The next thing I want to talk to you about is limiting visual and auditory distractions whenever possible. It's because noise can be so distracting, especially when someone's trying to do deep thinking and deep work. Visual and auditory distractions are some of the most common grievances that I hear about when we are looking at open concept systems. If the shared workspace has cement floors instead of carpet, and there's a large open space, then there is obviously very little that can be done to affect the noise level of the system. On this note, I've consulted to modern offices where the loudest area, the kitchen, was placed in the direct center of the working space with almost no sound barriers. So if someone was having a boisterous conversation in the kitchen, trust me, the entire office would hear about it. And that is not a good thing. There's some practical advice that you can incorporate to reduce or like diminish a bit visual and auditory distraction. Many of these solutions are relatively low cost and flexible to improve that well-being of the worker. Visual distractions can be limited by using panels, bookshelves, or green walls of plants like a living wall system. That is so trendy. People love it. Auditory distractions can be limited by using noise-canceling headphones, providing dedicated quiet and loud spaces, and masking sound by using white noise and by retrofitting sound-absorbing materials such as partitions and carpets. The next thing is a way for you to enhance collaboration areas. It's so key, especially when you don't want to disrupt other peoples in the area. Research has found that a bookable breakout room, like a lounge, has to be in any open concept office. And if it's not, then there's going to be a huge, huge implication here. 
They serve as a benefit to improve the visual and auditory distractions, like I was just chatting about, and breakout rooms have to be inviting. They have to be cozy and they have to be comfortable. Why? Well, it's going to allow people to want to get in there and collaborate to work together on a project instead of doing it in the open concept area. It's integral to the function of an organization. Absolutely. Why else are workplaces calling people back into the office? They want people to collaborate, and this facilitates it. They allow staff to freely associate, be creative for starters, and on top of that, business processes can be eliminated as staff don't have to worry about disrupting their colleagues when they're on conference calls or they're engaging in some sort of group work or other collaborations. Okay, so this next thing I want to talk about is about trialing and asking for feedback before making it permanent. And this may not be possible in all circumstances, but engaging with the staff will reap so many benefits in the long term. Because a thoroughly and thoughtfully managed shared office system is so important for performance. This is where ergonomics comes into the picture of testing and evaluating a variety of setups of staff. A participatory approach with staff will give the best results at the same time as getting key employee buy-in and feedback. I've used this approach countless times in a variety of industries. So trust me, my friend, it works. Engaging with staff will add time to the process, and this time requirement should be taken into account by management when considering the shift from a traditional to an open concept setup. However, in my humble opinion, the benefit outweighs the costs. The last thing I want to talk about is that there should be some sort of dedicated time for meetings with supervisors or just team meetings in general, because one of the drawbacks of using an open concept design is the perception of disconnectedness with supervisors and management even though everyone shares a common workspace. So building that time into a regular period of the week can be really helpful in fostering a really productive and collaborative environment. All right, my friend, those were the seven things to know about shared workspaces. Was anything surprising to you? Let me know. I'm all ears. Don't forget to go check out those show notes because there's some really good references to the research that I mentioned in today's episode. And lastly, I have a bunch of resources on my website. I don't know if you've checked it out, but I want to invite you to, if you haven't already, subscribe to ergonomicshelp.com, check out some of the free trainings I have there, and just keep in touch. If you're thinking of a really interesting idea that you'd like to hear more about, in these podcasts, hit your girl up and let me know. Until next time, my friend, I'll chat to you soon. You can get started with office ergonomics assessments today. Healthcare professionals are seeing the potential and opportunity to add office ergonomics assessments to their practice and services. Go to ergonomicshelp.com slash begin to get the exact seven-step process that works so that you can get started today without the confusion or overwhelm. Just head to ergonomicshelp.com slash begin now.